0: Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning good evening good afternoon everybody out there in podcast land you are now in to another episode of intrinsic motivation from a homies perspective this is Hamza and I'm David and today we are in for a treat we have a person that tried to escape her past from her surname that we had a little fun with today uh, but she's going to tell us more on a serious note uh, she is a trauma-healing coach and as a domainer, I am actually jealous that she actually owns TraumaHealingCoach.com. That's probably worth a pretty penny. And she has a she's the author of a book that came out last year called From Generation to Generation: Healing Intergenerational Trauma Through Storytelling. I welcome Emily the Wanderer Cohen. Welcome to the podcast, Emily.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hamza. And actually, <laughs> that book was out last year, but it it actually the the crazy coincidence of t- right timing is everything. It actually uh, was is now in bookstores uh, paperback as of yesterday. So congratulations! The country. I actually yeah. went to my my favorite bookstore, which is Powell's and fretted that they didn't have it. But the woman says, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm." So I got to hold my book in a real bookstore.
0: Very nice. Does that mean that you are going to tour the United States promoting the book?
1: Um, well, actually, you know, I, I'm touring (laughs) the United States, but in a different uh, reason in a different way. Because, um, the book is really just a launching pad for my um, my work with clients and getting the message out about intergenerational trauma, so I do a lot of speaking as well.
2: Hmm. There
0: is a, a school of thought that you know gone are the days where people ha- handed out business cards. It, more of your uh, establishing your pedigree is the book that you've written and you've done it both in electronic form and now as of yesterday you have the, the physical copy and so you are now official as they say
1: yes I am and can I tell you something else yes. please do my next book the second book actually came out electronically yesterday too <laughs>
2: Wow
0: you're on a roll is it is it a series or what? what is the second book about
1: Uh, well It's not intended to be a series, but the second book uh, does pick up where the first one leaves off, and it touches on how I had to care for my mother, the Holocaust survivor who uh, was uh, an abusive parent, and um, how I cared for her at end of life. And so the book is called The Daughter's Dilemma. How to uh, a survival guide for caring for an aging abusive parent. And oh. yeah! I'm all about the lighthearted reading, aren't I? <laughs> Seriously.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, oh my goodness. Um. Wow. We have to have you back. But let's let's start from the beginning with with okay. uh, the impetus, which
1: is a very good for... place to start.
0: Right? What was the what was the impetus? And, and I'll let you start from there. And we can build on that. Uh,
1: For the for the first book. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, I will say that um, I've been a writer all my life, writing short stories for myself when I was younger, and then writing became my profession. But I was a a marketing writer. Uh, And writing a book whether it was fiction or nonfiction was not on my bucket list. Uh, Although people would always say, Oh, are you, you know, you're a writer, are you going to write a book? No. Um, And then uh, my mom passed away in December of 2014, at the age of 93. And I started to write her story, which is very common for a second generation child to do. I started to document her story, and as I started to do that, uh, a neighbor of mine who was a high school English teacher and just agreed to help me kind of clarify my style and writing, and she said, you know, where are you in this? And I looked at her, and I said, it's not my story. It's her story. She says, oh, I think you're in here. I want you, and I was avoiding it. She was right we avoid the things that cause pain. And, you know, we try to find a shortcut. (laughs) So I, she was right, I had to go back and dig in and I was I was avoiding a lot of the hard stuff. The, The very first chapter of the book talks about my mom pulling my hair and scratching my face and doing you know, a lot of these awful things that I didn't really think about as, you know, quote unquote, abuse back then, we didn't talk about it. But uh, so now, I ended up, you know, going on that path and thinking, "Hmm, okay, so I'm really doing some hard work here. What else? You know, how do I uh, connect this back to my mom's situation in Germany before the Holocaust and then in concentration camp. Um, and I connected some dots. There's, there were things that made sense once I started to think back to what happened to her and then how she raised me and the things she kind of passed down unwittingly, as well as things that she, you know, uh, did, consciously that made me then act out or make a decision that i probably wouldn't have done in another you know if i were somebody else
2: mm-hmm.
0: hmm. do you hmm. i mean there's so many questions from from avoiding pain to actually confronting it and right. getting through such, such healing is a is a transformation in itself i believe
1: it is it's incredibly transformational and i mean <laughs> people who know me now and knew me before i addressed this when my mom was alive and i was dealing with it oh i am a totally different person i was anxious all the time I blew up at the drop of a pin. Uh, stress was not something that, I mean, I was, felt it all the time, but I didn't deal with it very well. I was afraid of getting on planes. I was always canceling things and travel was part of my business. And I, I would cancel at the last minute because I was afraid I wouldn't get home. Uh, those are just you know a few of the things uh, that, kind of marked my, my personality for many years. And, you know, I can't, I honestly can't remember the last time that I got really angry at something. I can't since I finished writing. I I, I honestly can't. I remember t- somebody like Poking the bear, like trying to get me mad, and I just looked at them like, "Not going to happen," you know.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, I it was not easy. Um, and now, you know my my mission, my goal is to help others because I've been through it, and I know it's easier if there was somebody, if if I had had somebody holding my hand through it and telling me what to do so or you know that's okay you can cry you can address that we'll come back to it tomorrow whatever I I, and I that's what I do with my clients now and I help them get through and what I always say to them is there's you know the only way through is through you can't really there's no workaround
0: As you were talking, I was thinking about uh, contracts, uh, soul contracts that we have, and you know, there's, there's a saying that we pick our family and and right. pick our our relationships and all. And as you were telling that story, it made me think of that. And that you're, in a way, I want to get your opinion on this. If your mother didn't put you through that, I mean, she was the conduit to bring you to your stage today, and you wouldn't have been able mm-hmm. to achieve that without her.
1: That's an interesting question. Um, no, I wouldn't, I clearly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Um, if I were not her daughter, but you know, there is that, that, um, train of thought that says we pick our parents, right? Mm -hmm. As you know, before we're born, we choose our parents to then fulfill our life's destiny. Um, And I've had some, you know, the first time somebody said that to me, I kind of went, really, you really think I picked her? (laughs) 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 Why would anybody do that? Right. But, uh, (laughs) but it really, it really does hold true. I mean, there's, there's something now that I am driven to focus on this topic. Um, it is, incredibly difficult to deal with, but also incredibly fulfilling when I work with clients, or, you know, potential clients, and I'm speaking, and all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, and they go, that's it. That's what was happening. And then I can help them through the process. Um, It's, it's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> when I get to the end of the program with some of my clients and they're just like I never knew I could do this you had faith in me and I didn't think I could do it I thought I was gonna turn away and I said well if you'd done it by yourself you probably would have
0: mm. you know I think that's another staple for you and Uh, sometimes especially when you're talking about going through trauma uh, somebody may isolate themselves and feel as though you know it's them against the world or they're doing everything on their own and here Mm -hmm. you're in essence an olive branch that's reminding them that that's not always the case or it doesn't have to be the case
1: Mm -hmm. I like that the olive branch trees are a big uh, uh, big imagery for Judaism and also trauma Um, you know, the ginkgo tree, it has a lot of, uh, resilience. Uh, so that's interesting. Olive branch. We'll just, um, sorry, kind of inside there, but I, I guess, yeah, I I mean, what happens honestly is the first time I talk to people and say, well, here's what I do when they, you know, they find me somehow and then they come, they go, oh, I'm not ready for that. You know, oh, I don't have time for that. And then are you guys still there? Yeah. Oh, that was weird. Sorry, it went, <laughs> I heard click, click, click. I heard a funny noise. Um, so, you know, at first and then they, they go away. Very often they say, well, that's okay, but I'm not ready. And then something happens in their life something happens like a friend dies or they have a brush with death themselves or a child graduates from college and, you know, they have a life, a a life cycle event. Mm -hmm. And then they come back and say, okay, I know I need to do this, but I can't do it myself. And Mm -hmm. that's when, when we engage, I, I see it over and over. It is, scary to do it. I didn't start the process myself thinking I was going to heal. I was just trying to get it was cathartic. I just wanted, okay, I'm going to just put all this stuff together and get it out of me. But getting it out of me meant getting it out of my head where it would just circulate in my brain over and over and over and I gave my thoughts a place to land. And then when you can look at your thoughts on a piece of paper or a virtual paper, you do get distance from it. It's, it's a different experience reading what your thought was versus just simply thinking it mm. because you can change it. Uh, uh, Emily,
3: let me ask you, um, are you, were you a, a single child? yeah like. Brother yeah okay. I was just curious um I've just known situations where um people were experiencing you know um, abuse from their parent, and there's they have multiple siblings, but for whatever reason, it was just always going towards you know this one particular sibling, so mm-hmm. I was just curious. yeah brothers and sisters, and if they were experiencing the same thing or obviously it was just you
1: Yeah, it was just me and, but I want to add, because a lot of times when people finish my book, they will email me or, you know, message me and say, you know what, you don't mention dad very much in the book. Why is that? And, um, you know, my first reaction for a long time was, well, he didn't traumatize me. And, you know, this was really about, my relationship with my mom. But the more I I got to thinking about it, I realized that my dad couldn't protect me from this because she was traumatizing him too. She was I mean, have you ever seen a very tiny (laughs) five foot four woman push her husband down. Um, she pushed my dad down several times. He was not a big man, but still he was I mean—he was stocky and she would she was physical with him as well. And I realized that, you know, if he stuck up for me or tried to intervene that he would get her wrath too. So, but we didn't talk about it. We didn't, it wasn't like we talked and said, okay, we're going to be a united front. Um, it just it didn't happen, but the more I think about those those times where she just was awful to him, just as much as she was awful to me,
3: yeah um Emily, I wanted to ask you, do you know how old your mother was when she uh was you know went to a, was put into a concentration camp?
1: yeah, I do um she was born in 1922 and um went to concentration camp in
2: 1941
1: okay so okay. she was 19
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she was recently married so how? how long
3: exactly how long was she there for
1: uh, she was in for two years, two and two a half year. years. Two and a half years. Mm-hmm. years yeah. And yeah. apparently, according to like family discussions that I've had and I, you know, I can't doc, I can't find a documentation of this, but, um, both her husband and my mother were what's called mischling. So one parent was Jewish and one parent was not. Um, My grandfather converted to Judaism, but they didn't really recognize that the Nazis didn't recognize that. So they considered my mom half and half and um, apparently Peter was as well. And so they didn't get picked up for camp as early as some others.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: That's what that's, one story <laughs> did
3: did your mother have brothers and sisters?
1: uh she had a brother who died when he was one or two okay from from polio okay so she was also basically an only child
3: mm, okay Just. Kind of curious about that i have a i know someone who you know they had the their grandparents were um, you know, in the holocaust and you know i don't I don't know even how to explain it but she uh her grandmother and her grandmother's brother survived and, and they were mm-hmm. in the concentration camps but they made survive but the her grandmother lost two of her sisters and both her parents mm-hmm. you know and so I was just uh, just curious about if there was any other family members.
1: Yeah. Well, my I still have family in Germany because of my grandfather. Actually, Germany and Poland um, because of my grandfather. Um, my grandmother, so I'm actually a third generation as well as a second generation survivor because my grandparents made it out too. Mm. Um, but my grandmother was one of 10 <laughs> and eight, eight of them perished. Mm. It was just, it was just my grandmother and her brother, uh, Fritz, who was here in the States and was their sponsor.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay. When you travel Emily for work, do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I do. Do you listen to The Revisionist History with uh, Malcolm Gladwell?
1: I have. Yes. I love I, Malcolm. Uh, He's I great, am. isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's
0: awesome. And so, um Sitting in traffic and you know listening to a lot of podcasts, so anyway, one of his most recent ones that I want to ask you about he was talking about um the the wall in Mexico or the proposed wall, and uh, did you hear that podcast?
1: No, I did not sorry okay. I, I,
0: i I'm I'm no worries no words
1: like tonight
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a homework assignment so he was talking about of uh, looking at it from an economic standpoint you know he does a lot of social issues but he also looks at it from an economic standpoint and so mm. in in Mexico in the 60s I want to say 65 to 85 they there was a huge population that was we um, called revolving uh, what do you call them? Revolving citizens, meaning that
2: hmm.
0: when the wall, there wasn't a, a big security wall or anything like that. So what they would do is they they would come to the United States around uh, May in the springtime and work all summer in the fall, and then in the winter time they would go back home and the reason why they were doing that was because they a lot of their family was they never they never really left their family their family stayed behind in Mexico and they brought the money back that they made in the States and so Uh he was talking about you know today obviously it's a lot harder because it's harder to get across and when you get across it's it's you can't go you can 't go back right you can't you're kind of stuck, and so they he was saying that uh, in this in this example they were able to keep a strong sense of self heritage because they were able to go back and forth because it was so close as opposed to Jewish or other people that came from Europe and never really went back just mm. due to economics and so when you're when you're talking about third generation survivorship and so on. Uh, I wanted to get your take on how it could potentially be different if it were easier for families to kind of go back and forth to kind of you know touch the homeland
1: how easy I
0: mean not easy but e- a, a different perspective or different perception as to uh, you know we this is your homeland but we only get to go there maybe once in a lifetime type of de- I mean it's easier to travel now but you're, because you're third generation but I'm thinking other generations up to you how often did they go home and what kind of impact did that have because they you know you're not able to go home and um, I mean you're leaving under they weren't they were dire circumstances you know uh-huh so I was just so, wondering your take
1: well it's okay well I don't know that that it's that straightforward. So my grandparents and my mother came over together. Um, my grandfather would go back to Germany every other summer to see his family. My grandmother said, I'm never going back. I don't ever want to set foot there. That's fine if you want to go, but I'm not going. Um, so you know, I grew up with a really interesting, I mean, that's an interesting dichotomy. It's like, do I, do I, am I supposed, is it, is it okay for me to want to go to Germany or is it not okay? Right. Mm, Um, right. And then my, my mother, um, went back without telling me my mom was, well, she was an interesting person. And this is, this is one of those things. She, she didn't tell me she planned it. She was going back. She had not been back before and I was this was when I was I was already married and had kids. Uh she said, Well I'm going, Em. and I'm like, Well, I wanna go with you but I can't because I have other plans. That's okay. I'm gonna go by myself. But she then ended up being more like my grandfather because she started going back and seeing that the Catholic family, and I've been back and seen them. I, I know people won't, well, people won't like it when I say this, but I actually feel more comfortable in Germany sometimes than I do here. Mm. And I think it's because I speak fluent German and I blend in that way, but, and I have my cousins, I adore them they are fabulous people and lots of fun. (laughs) So, you know, I, I I don't know a lot of survivors who go back uh, Mm. for pleasure, they will go back for a reunion of survivors, Mm. or they don't go back or they'll go with their child or grandchild for a specific purpose. But it's not like people, very many survivors or their second gens go to Germany just for vacation. Uh, but I have a, I have a different connection because I have Catholic family. I mean, I have family. I shouldn't keep calling them Catholic. I have family that I'm close to. My uh, my cousin, Uh, Ahim was very, very good to my mom and helped her get some reparations. And he actually ended up helping me find my half brother that I didn't know I had. So he's he's a mensch.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm
0: laughing on two sides. Uh one because you kept mentioning <laughs> before you corrected yourself uh your Catholic family. And uh-huh. I was wondering why you made that distinction. My one of my sisters' husbands, uh he's German. And uh-huh. they, you know, over there they're um, really strong in lineage as far as you know this is what our lineage is, you know, versus the states. Uh-huh. The states is more of a melting pot, right? So it's was just right. wondering you kept making the distinction from Catholic family due to uh, your German influence
1: yeah and I think you know what um boy this is great you're actually making me think I've got some more stuff to write about more <laughs> um, that's fantastic I love it I love it when somebody pushes me and, when, and then I've got this you know aha moment um I think it's because among Jews it's shocking to some that when I say, oh, I'm going to Germany to visit cousins, they kind of look at you like, well, how do you have cousins there? And then I I inevitably have to go through the whole process. Well, my grandfather was born Catholic and he converted to marry my grandmother in 1919 and he was circumcised at that point. So he's my hero. part of my story, um, you know, because who does that, right? That's love. And, and so I, I always feel like I have to go back to explain all that. So I think I, that's why I say it, but it, it is kind of interesting because um, I do know that I'm closer to that family. And my mother was closer to that family than her mother's side, who Is here and I have cousins and I don't have a relationship with them. Uh, So I don't know. It's really really interesting.
0: In another favorite of mine uh, uh, for podcasts is uh, Clark Howard, and he's a consumer advocate. If you don't know about him, but anyway, he he Mm -hmm. looks. He reminds me. Oh, you're familiar with him. So okay, great. So today or I'm sorry the podcast I was listening to today I think it was a couple of weeks ago a week ago they were talking about uh, retirees retiring out of the United States and the pros and cons and you know there's a huge contingent going to Panama there's a huge contingent going to Vietnam or going back to their homeland right uh, if if, if the, the the medical situation is taken care of and and so on and so forth and it's uh, I don't know if that's your leanings but twice in this podcast not knowing us <laughs> you mentioned mm-hmm. the comfortability living there and I don't know on a scale of a one to a hundred how close that would be of you moving back
1: would I do that Um yeah. Well, let's see. Last time I was there, I was looking for houses. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Well, there were two houses right near my cousins that were for sale. And I honestly thought, you know what? Life would be simpler. It just felt (sighs) there's just a different vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, I will say, you know, in Germany, putting out Nazi propaganda or talking about, you know, using the, the iron cross or anything that's illegal. Mm-hmm. And so it feels that feels better to me. Like, I feel like, Hey, you know, I could live there and I have no problem saying I'm Jewish and people go, great. I actually since then have known uh, I've come to know several people who live in Berlin uh, they're Jewish. They live in Berlin and people question them. And I say, you have no idea. It is so much easier to be here than it is to be in the state.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I can't tell you if I would honestly do that. I do have dual citizenship. Now i got it from my kids as well as myself. Um I have a I went back and I had you know all the documents from my parents, which was super lucky um so I could do that and i I did it for my kids, hoping that if they want to go work in Europe that they have an easier time um but now I'm thinking you know it might be a longer term. Um, you know, living situation. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, if somebody said you have to go somewhere, you can't live in a state, you just have to go somewhere else. I would go to Germany, mm-hmm. hands down. And some people would go to Israel, but I, I don't speak Hebrew. I'm sure I could pick it up, but I already speak fluent German. So it's easy mm-hmm. for me to, um, Fit into that culture, and gosh darn it! The when I go to the meat market, all that yum, all that yummy sausage, I can't get that up. (laughs) 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 It's
2: German soul food.
0: (laughs) Now I sound like a travel agent because I'm trying to get you to go over
1: there. Oh, (laughs) I know. No been. twist of your arm, right? yeah, yeah, darn, and it's all the stuff that when my dad would eat it when I was a little girl, I'd go, "Oh, gross, and now
2: <laughs> oh ooh, I can't wait
1: <laughs>
0: one of my cousins he just came back from uh, Berlin, he was doing some traveling that well you know, the summer, so anyway he's a he's a college student and he, you know, he, he's going around at the uh, hostels and meeting people, and and one of the girls that he met was complaining about how much tuition was and room and board, and he, oh, right. <laughs> at, when she told him what it cost, he was like, "I'm going to school in Germany."
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> was like, I know but it's nothing, right? It's, it's nothing.
0: nothing. Yeah.
1: I know. Well, and I have one son and one daughter. My son just graduated in. May and he was mm, somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000 a year because he had an academic scholarship. And my daughter is going into her second year at BU and it's upwards of 60.
2: Mm-hmm. It's brutal.
1: Yeah, right. And that's just tuition. That's not books. That's not her sorority fees. That's not because <laughs> she had to do that too. Um, (laughs) that's not her, you know, anything else. It's not her, her apartment this coming year. It's just, it's, I, I really understand people who just cannot afford that. I, I, it's killing me.
0: All of my nieces and nephews, I I sit them down and make them watch where to invade next by Michael Moore. It's a great movie to see. I I mean it's so great to see that there is a world I mean it feels like uh, 1492 sometimes here that if you leave Uh the States you fall off the planet and you know it's good to let people know that there is a world outside of our borders
1: (laughs) yeah 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 I mean my uh, my daughter is actually uh, studying to be uh, a pastry chef and so she's fully planning to go to live in France at least for a year nice. and I'm gonna have to go I'm clearly gonna have to go and Um <laughs> 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 But, you know, I I think so many Americans, honestly, I mean, we're, we're way off our original topic, but it's great. Um, So many Americans really have no idea of the rest of the world. And, and I really feel that that's part of what's going on with Mexico and, you know, with what's going on right now. And I don't want to get political, but, it's just very easy when you haven't been there to stereotype somebody.
3: Yes. Yes. I agree.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I had an El Salvadoran nanny for many years when I was, uh, when my son was born and then until my, I guess my daughter went to preschool. Um, so I don't know, six, seven years. Um, and she had left El Salvador because her husband was violent and she stashed her two kids who were teenagers with other relatives where he couldn't find them. And then she came over here Mm. and, and now I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, I just was always so, grateful to the US for having taken her in and then her kids eventually came over. And they're adults now. But I just look at her and think, really? You know, she's contributing to society. She's Oh, my God, she's the, she's the farthest thing from violent ever. Um, <laughs> she raised I mean, she raised my kids when I had the work she they, they adored her we're still in touch how could somebody just say well she needs to go back where her yeah. husband still lives or her ex, whatever." I don't think she ever got divorced but he's still gonna be trying to kill her
2: yeah <laughs> hmm.
1: why why are we doing this can somebody explain this to me
2: yeah I
0: have, I have a question Emily um, about time and your 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 healing with trauma so my father is 70 and so he did two tours in Vietnam and you know in our conversation he's like until recently he was able to close his eyes without the fear of being transported back to the war zone and I wanted to know the percentage of post-traumatic stress disorder that you deal with Uh when Uh overcoming trauma when you're working with clients
1: PTSD is clearly uh, what we're dealing with Um, I it's definitely you know, the main thing that we, that ends up coming up. Um, Dealing with my clients. And I mean, the, one of the first things that we talk about is, you know, I want them to document, go back to a specific experience that they've experienced and write about it. And that usually uncovers, at least one or two triggers like, okay, that's why this is happening. That's it. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I just feel it's so interesting that PTSD really as as a syndrome was not really even recognized till what 1980, right Mm. after Vietnam.
2: Yeah.
1: And so most of the Holocaust survivors, uh, my mother included, would not, didn't think they needed therapy or anything. And a lot of 2G, I didn't even have therapy till I was married. I was in my thirties. Um. So, you know, a lot of my clients now, they they kind of know that they're dealing with PTSD, but, they don't know from what Does that answer your question
0: it it does because uh, I, I wonder you know you can go down this rabbit hole from someone that reaches out to you and then they're going through the process to ultimately work with you to ultimately like you said having that light bulb go off I was just wondering mm-hmm. if it's not a one-size-fits-all but there has to be some type of I guess protocol or pattern that you may or may not see
1: yeah yeah i mean there are uh, definite indicators um for second generation for second generation intergenerational trauma so that's the parent who experienced the trauma and you know firsthand and then the child who is dealing with all kinds of triggers and they don't know why because they didn't go through it. Um, and it's, it's actually interesting when you look into the, um, uh, sorry, when you look into the, uh, genocides in general. So the things that second generation Holocaust survivors feel is very similar to what the the children of survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki feel. It's very similar to what the survivors of Japanese internment camps feel. It's similar to what uh, not the children of 9/11 survivors feel, uh, and we can just keep going on and on and on. Armenia, Syria, I'm pretty sure Myanmar is going to end up in that same boat. But it's there, are, there are a lot of similarities and it's this unexplained anxiety. It's uh, just a, a distrust of others a fear of the world in general, just trying to make to control your situation. Um, There is a perfectionism aspect that you have to be perfect, because if you're not, then somebody might notice you and then that spells trouble, right? If you just blend in, you'll be fine. So, oh, and Cambodia and Vietnam, those are a couple of other uh, historical events that i find people uh clients and and others who have the same kind of you know issues that they just don't understand where they're coming from It's i find it just fascinating
0: and the from a black american standpoint uh, about a month Uh or two ago Uh they you know they uh not they but Kanye West and people understood what he meant ultimately he just wasn't the good purveyor or or good communicator But when he said was out of his mouth everyone's like what and it just triggered you know like you just said all those characteristics that uh, maybe that are unidentified on some level that you know I think you and others in this like you said multi-generations later are able to at least have people work through them and make that transformation
1: right Right. And, you know, I, I've gone to so many uh, second generation groups and for for the Holocaust um, groups and conferences. And the most that they do is you sit around, you have a little, you know, breakout session. And a psychologist says, Oh, here are the here are the things that, you know, a lot of two G's feel and everybody sits there and goes, yeah, that's me. Okay. I feel better. And then they, they leave. Okay. Mm -hmm. But how do you get past it? It, It's almost like you're told that this is your life and accept it. Now that you know you're normal, you're going to live your life this way. And I don't believe that. I think that I'm, I'm kind of a voice that, uh, is, I, am I'm a fish swimming upstream, frankly. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that it's our duty to stay in pain. I've been told this by some other second generation survivors that it's our duty to stay in pain. And if we, if we don't, then we're, you know, if we try to heal, then we're, um, we're not honoring the memory of our dead relatives. And I don't know if I can use profanity, but I call BS. (laughs) To me, that's BS. I just don't, I don't, A, you know what, I don't know what my relatives would have wanted, but if I project forward to my kids and my grandkids, I wouldn't want them to stay in pain and be miserable and not achieve their life's dreams because of me.
2: Yeah. So
1: I, but that is, that is a quote unquote thing. I, I don't know if that's the same with survivors of say Cambodia, the, you know, Khmer Rouge or Vietnam or anything. I, I don't know. I haven't delved into that as much, but I plan mm. to. And I, so I really like the psychology like about. Sorry, I was just going to say the psychology around second-generation Holocaust survivors is really. Um, it's it's really a, either we want to heal and we want to like we're not forgetting we just want to forgive, or it's we need to stand pain because of them.
3: Yeah. Uh, I've always found that interesting. To where someone might say, "Well, though so they interpret wanting to get out of pain as well, you just you just don't care," or that's like, "No, how, how how is that?" It's like I, I just want to feel right. good. That doesn't mean right. that I not If,
1: if I feel better, then that means I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not respecting my my ancestors' yeah. memory, and that's just not true. I know. <laughs> and so one of the things that I like to say is that forgiving does not mean forgetting.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean forgetting at all.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you you used to. I don't know if you used to watch it, but they had an episode on Seinfeld where they mm-hmm. had, they were watching, <laughs> you know, what talking about it. He had mm-hmm. to apologize for like the rest of the episode because of a because he was laughing during you know a somber or right. movie. So yeah, um, and and I like that we had this conversation, Emily, because it it I was I just finished uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, like the whole series, and one of the podcasts was about Sammy Davis Jr. and mm. and him and just talking to you, I was able to identify a lot of the trauma that he went through, and that influenced a lot of his decisions, probably unbeknownst to him. He I mean he didn't have uh-huh. the expertise on your end and and another thing that we didn't even talk about and I, I want to get your take on it is you know usually when you think of abuse in a family it's usually the father and so what's it been like when mm. going out into the public talking about not only your mom but a you know Ooh. a woman that's five foot four you know that it shouldn't <laughs> happen with her she's totally the yeah. antithesis <laughs> of the image of a abuser
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah well well, first of all, I just want to say that, uh, you know, that image is of a physical abuser. First of all, right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, my mother was emotional and physical. Um, I actually, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Uh, most of them were the dad and you're you're totally right. I no one's called me on that before. No one's asked me this question. Uh, again, I think it's awesome because it. You're makes dealing me, with the homies. It it, it <laughs> makes me think differently. I love it. I love it, Humph. Um, I you know that is really interesting. Um, you know, I was teeny tiny kid my my parents were not big my mom again I mean she was five four on a good day I mean when she died I think she was 411 and my grandmother was tiny uh, I I've never considered I'm just being totally honest I've never considered that most physical abusers are the father, but don't we usually think of our, uh, that as a sexual thing? I mean, mine was never in that realm.
2: Mm -hmm. My dad
1: didn't, my dad did not do any of that. He was just a really sweet man, but he was, he was totally coward. He, He would cower when my mom would come around and, you know, So what that did, okay, I'm going to turn this a little, what that did was in my mind, make me disrespect my father because he didn't stand up for her, to her. And so I saw men as, you know what? You're not good enough. You're just Mm -hmm. not good enough. You're not strong. And I will say I pretty much every relationship I've had, I've walked away from because I felt like the man isn't good enough. He didn't meet my, my incredibly high expectations. And that was because how my mom treated my father. Mm -hmm. So I know that's not really answering your question, but it's, it's an interesting, twist on, um, well, it explains how I behaved because of her. And yeah, Mm -hmm. she abused me, but, but she also abused him. And yet my perception of my father was, gee, why don't you stand up to her? Be a man. Mm -hmm. Right? So I know I'm not really answering your question. It's, because I don't have that. You know, you're asking me great questions. And now I have to write another book. Damn it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I know what it's going to be called. I've been waiting to use this title and I just
3: haven't. Nice co author credits.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, let me I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think about my friends who tell me about their abuse and it's all at the hands of their father.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, Emily. Yeah. Let me let me ask this question real quick. So I know in your book, in that first chapter, you talked about as a child, you know, you just wanted to be held and snuggled, and and you don't. Ever, you said you don't ever remember, you know, any of that. You just mm-hmm. it positive. So I was wondering as a result of that when you were raising your own children, did you intentionally, you know, like go the opposite direction and make sure you always showed them love and give them validation. And did you find yourself doing that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. My, my ultimate goal, especially with my daughter, was to make sure that I didn't uh, repeat the mistakes. Um, Unfortunately, because my husband and I divorced that it it ended up not working out that way. But, uh, I definitely spent a lot of time, you know, validating, validating her feelings. Um, I didn't have the, the Holocaust trump card like my mom did. I mean, basically whenever I came home and said, well, this happened at school. And then she's like, well, whatever. You were in concentration camp, and it's like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: well, no, I wasn't. And then the conversation stops, and that—that yeah. that is actually something that goes across all second-gen survivors. There's just nothing to say. Yeah. You're right. We can't. Okay, but we're here in the states, and so, um, but with my daughter, I definitely, especially with my daughter, I definitely, um, made sure that she was snuggled and validated and my son, I mean, uh, you know, both of them are great kids. Uh, they're both. I I would actually say my son is more of an emotional being than my daughter. She actually reminds me of my mother. In fact, I think my mom is channeled through her.
2: (laughs)
0: that was going to be part of my question uh, oh. because because when uh you know you're yelling like you better shut that door we're not trying to heat the whole neighborhood the, ah, I sound like my parents right mm. and I was just wondering if you know your son brings girls home and you're like oh my god he's repeating like he didn't even plan it but he's repeating like he's bringing home grandma oh
1: oh wow um no <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's interesting. No. He um he had a very short lived girlfriend in high school who I adored. Um, I was a tennis coach and she was on the tennis team and she was really sweet. She says, Would it be okay if Josh and I dated? <laughs> I'm like, Yes, <laughs> Margaret because she was valedictorian going to UCLA for med school. I'm like, yes, yes. Totally <laughs> uh, and they didn't last very long for, it was actually my son and I was really not happy with him, but uh, <laughs> he's been dating a girl for three years and I don't see any connection with my mother or with mm-hmm. me or anyone um i actually love i mean i've been with them together i love the way she looks at him and he looks at her and i've commented on that that i think that it's it's lovely it's i love how she, how more more than she looks at him how he looks at her because as a woman that what he does is what I would want to have done to me. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Uh, They are apart for the first time. Uh, They, you know, they went to college together and then now she's at Berkeley getting her master's and he's working in LA and we'll see what happens. But, I love I, I do really respect their relationship and I don't think it has any connection which is a good thing.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean my my son is a really he's a really warm uh, real you know easy to approach person. So yeah he and I have a lot of similarities more than yeah, his sis, his sister and I just, there are things where I look at her and I'm like, you are my mom. <laughs> 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 and some of that has to do with, you know, my mom would make fun of me if I was emotional. And I will just say that my daughter is not an emotional person. And I don't, I, I have a hard time connecting with that.
2: Mm-hmm. No. Uh,
3: Hmm. When, you live, I mean, we, uh, when you live in the yeah, Bay Davis. Area, where where did you live at? What Sorry, city? I
1: couldn't
3: hear you. I said, when you were living in the Bay Area, what what city were you living in
1: Uh, I live in Berkeley.
3: Okay. All right. You know it. Well, I'm originally from San Jose, so I was I was <laughs> born and raised in the Bay Area, so.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I spent I spent years I did a tour de Bay. I went I went to Cal, ended up with my first job in Menlo Park, moved uh, back up slowly slowly up the peninsula, back to San Francisco and then down to San Jose, then around the East Bay, back up and eventually back in Berkeley. <laughs> mm.
3: <laughs> Berserkly as they call it. <laughs> mm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just not the way it was when I was there. But yeah. um, you know, people will ask, well, why didn't your kids want to go to Berkeley? It's such a great school. I'm like, if you grew up there, you don't want to stay. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's different. Um, yeah. yeah we covered yeah, we is. covered we covered a lot of ground and we touched on trauma without actually going and sticking in our in the mud if you will and our yeah, better true. people because me. of it
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will say I mean I want to get back on the phone with you because oh my gosh you made me think you asked me questions that I have not really been before and I'm not saying that you know others have been like really gentle it's just I really like how you've pushed into different directions
0: awesome and I I do want to say you know congratulations for getting your your physical copy in the bookstores and getting the second book launched as well so yeah I'm sure we have a lot to talk about we'd love to stay in touch with you
1: yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Then we can talk about, uh, women in their eighties and nineties being mean and inappropriate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: actually, I have a soccer that, you know, it's, it's the world cup is right now. I actually have a soccer, uh, uh, anecdote.
0: <laughs> oh, we'd love to hear
2: it.
1: Yeah. You want to hear it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when my my mom, uh, in her later years, uh, as some older uh, adults do, they can't tell when they have flatulence, my mm-hmm. mother would, uh, you know, have an episode, and we, the kids and I had a code. So yellow card was oops, we heard it. Red card was we heard it, we smelled it. We need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well
2: if
0: well, any if your sessions are as lighthearted as this, then I, I can't think of any trauma right now, but I need to sign up. And How can I get in touch with you for signing up for your coaching and where can we get in touch with you as far as getting your books and social media and all that good stuff
1: okay so my yeah my website yeah I know I'm kind of like really am I I really a trauma-healing coach um I think that that that's actually one of the things that draws people to me because I Bring out the lightheartedness and things. Um, so my website is uh, traumahealingcoach dot as you mentioned in the intro. And my uh, my first book, from generation to generation, is now available in bookstores across the country, um, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Amazon, wherever, and uh, if you want my second book, my new book, it's actually free for the next few days on Amazon, and that one's called uh, The Daughter's Dilemma, or if you miss the window, you can just go to my website, and there's a tab called Books, and pull down on Uh, there are two options one is for the first book one is for this the new book and you can just download the new one for free all you have to do is put your email name uh, your first name last name and I'll send it off to you
0: fantastic fantastic well you have just been attuned to another episode of intrinsic motivation from a homies perspective this is Hamza
3: and I'm David
0: <laughs> and Emily it was a pleasure let's definitely stay in touch
1: well let's do that I enjoyed this so much
0: yeah awesome have a good evening
1: you too you guys still there
0: Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the Speak Pipe button and leave any suggestions for future podcasts that you'd like us to cover. Also, check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.